Hallelujah. How many of you believe? If you really believe that you've been saved from the pit of hell, that the victory has been given to you, that God is providing a mansion for you in heaven, and that every moment of every day on this earth you are going to walk with the anointing of God, with power, authority, and dominion, if you really believe that, let's thank God like we really believe it and appreciate it. Yes, hallelujah. You've heard me say so many times in this church that I feel it and I believe it almost every time I come up here. I am so thankful. I'm not going to get what I deserve. I am so thankful I'm going to get what God gave through His Son, Jesus. Can you say amen to that? That's why you hear me say this all the time, but it just burns in my spirit. Thank you, Jesus, for the victory. I am not who I used to be. I am steadfast. I am immovable. I am always abounding in the work of the Lord because I know my labor is not in vain in the Lord. Your labor is not in vain. You are steadfast. You are immovable. You are always abounding in the work of the Lord. Let's thank Him one more time. Let's make our confession. We got a couple of them. We put the best last, the oldie but the goodie. But the first one is pretty good too. So let's say it. I am here on purpose because I have a purpose. My heart is open. My mind is ready to receive because God is not finished with me yet. My best days are right in front of me. I have victory in my life because Jesus lives in me. God gave me this confession we're about to say a long time ago. I like simple. I like things that are really, really simple. And the bottom line is, if you know what to do and you don't do it, you're not very smart. But if you know what to do and you do it, then you're going to be blessed for doing what you know you needed to do in the first place. So if you don't do what you know to do, you're not going to get what you want to have. But if you want to have what God wants you to have, you got to do what God tells you to do. Did you take that down? But this confession simplifies it. Are you ready? The Word of God is truth. If I live the Word, I will be blessed. If I don't, I won't. It's just that simple. Tell your neighbor, it's just that simple. You can be seated. Good to have you in the house of the of the Lord. I got it. Thank you so much. Good to have you all in the house of the Lord. And I do need those reminders. Thank you. We have a very special announcement. Phyllis Evie over here to your left has a brand new great grandson, Reed William, another one named after me, Reed William Adams, born Monday, June the 17th, eight pounds, 13 ounces, 21 inches long. Give him a hand. I'll bet you've been there with that baby in your arms already. <laughs> Phyllis works in our nursery and rocks the babies. Best job in the house, isn't it? The best job in the house. J.C. Harbaugh, where are you? You in this service? Not, not here. Today is your birthday. Well, okay. <clears throat> Special guy here today. Special guy. Semper Fi, Mr. Isaiah. Lance Corporal, Isaiah Harbaugh, stand up. Let's give you a hand. 
all the way from Japan. United States Marine Corps, soon to be a corporal, then a sergeant, then maybe a major, maybe a commander. Simplify, buddy. Father, we thank you for Isaiah. Thank you for his call to serve in the military and the Marine Corps. Thank you for his duty station. Thank you for the duty station that will be coming next. And we just thank you that the ministering angels surround and are encamped about him. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Good to see you. Good to see you. How many of you know what simplify means? Oh, my goodness. I've been here for 30 years, and only two people know what simplify means. Did I never? It, it's uh, Latin. It was from the very uh, founding of the Marine Corps. Uh, always faithful. Always faithful. Simplify. Semper fidelis, actually. But the Marines, they weren't that smart. They simplified it to simplify. So. <laughs> the founding of the Marine Corps is unbelievable. It really is. Uh, they were founded in a tavern, still serve in a tavern. Uh, <laughs> Tom's Tavern back in the 1700s. It, it's a fascinating. We try to keep the, uh, keep the tradition going. It's really interesting. Hey, I have, I have something funny to share with you because the joy of the Lord is our strength. And this, this uh, story that I, I saw, I don't know if it's true or not, but it, it hits so close to home to me, and I'll tell you about it. But an overweight fellow, I mean, how many of you, every once in a while, you need to lose a couple pounds? Uh, an overweight fellow had decided that it was time to share a few extra pounds. So he decided that uh, there was a bakery that he always went by that had really great pastry. He thought, I I'm going to start going in a different direction. And uh, he did, and he started bypassing this bakery. And then one day, the road was closed where he would, had to go, and he had to go down the road where the bakery was. And so as he was coming down this road, uh, he said, you know, there's a very special coffee cake that, that I like, Lord, and, and, uh, and, and I'd love to just get one and, and take it home, or take it to the office for all the people to share and for me to have. But I tell you what, I think it might be your will that I do that today because... There's a detour that's taking me right by the bakery. And uh, so, uh, the Lord, Lord, uh, if there's a parking space, a very busy bakery, if there's a parking space right in front of the bakery, uh, then I'll know it's your will. And sure enough, there was a parking space right in front of the bakery. I said, are you sure? And I said, yes. I drove around the block eight times, and there was a parking place. Now, the reason I share that with you is because I try to stay off of 9th Street. 9th Street has O'Rear's Bakery. How many of you have ever been to O'Rear's Bakery? It is like a giant suction cup. You get on 9th Street, and I was coming by there one day, and this is a true story. It was, past, it was I think, noon, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock. They, they close when they run out of donuts, usually, not a set hour. And I was coming down there, and I thought, Lord, if they're open, I'll know you want me to have one. I'm telling you, this is the honest truth. They were open. And I went in, and I got a tiger tail and an apple fritter. They're the worst thing in the world for you. How can anything so bad for you taste so good that I love those? How many of you get to O'Rear's Bakery? Oh, not very many of you. Stay away. <laughs> it's not good for you. Okay, we're going to be talking today about something that I believe is God's will for all of us. We're going to start with a question, make sure we got the right group here. But how many of you are prepared? And you say, well, prepared for what? <clears throat> with uh, Matt and Michelle coming uh, to be with us and Megan and, uh, and our great-grandson, uh, 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 Mason. And uh, we had to get prepared 
I had to clean the bathroom. Glory to God, that's the worst job in the world. I'll tell you what, Pam's got a messy bathroom. But we, we, we had to get prepared and had to do things and all because my wife said that we need to do things and, and we did. But, you know, that's just a silly example. But are you really prepared for the world that we're living in today and what's about to happen in the world and what Jesus has informed us of? Are you really prepared spiritually? Uh, are you ready to flow under the anointing that God has for you? Or are you in control of your life? My observation of most people is that they are in control of their life. And that the life that God wants us to live is for him to be in complete control of every aspect of our life. And we're going to share that in the book of Mark, if you want to turn, uh, Matthew uh, chapter 16, because God's got a great plan ahead of us. Now, Jesus has told us what's going to happen in the world. How many of you realize you are living in a different world than you grew up in? This is not the same world. They just, uh, well, a few months ago, but uh, one of the uh, committees on, uh, well, I'll call it like it is. It doesn't matter what party. There are good people in the Republican Party. There are good people in the Democratic Party. Uh, there are bad people in the Republican Party. There are bad people in the Democratic Party. But uh, uh, th this one particular person's name is Nadler. And uh, I believe we need to be bold and call things out. But uh, when they had a witness uh, uh, recently before his committee, they swore the witness in. And, uh, and, and at the very end of the swearing in, it's always, uh, uh, I, I promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, so help me God. And as they swore the witness in, uh, they did not use uh, a promise to the whole truth, so help me God. And uh, one of the other party members, it was a Republican, uh, said, I object to that. Why did we not have them say, so help me God? And said, that's offensive to some people, and uh, we don't do that any longer because we are now in control of the House of Representatives. So they are doing away with, so help me God. Our boldness should say, that is unacceptable. Everybody said, that's unacceptable. And the one person who uh, was, was making the, the uh, objection to it said, since the beginning of our country in America, in this room, in this house, we have always sworn in witnesses, so help me God that I am about to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And said, well, we're not doing that anymore because that can be offensive to some people that don't believe that way. Folks, the world is being watered down. America is the same thing. But it's, there are great things going on, too. So everybody say, it's not all bad. But the body of Christ needs to come to the forefront and get involved in this last day army. And when you, when you, if you, if you understand the word of God and the boldness that it wants us to project on assignment from God, everybody say, I'm on assignment from God. And that we need to be so sensitive to the Holy Spirit that we know what to do. Most of us are sensitive. Where's your cell phone? Well, I'll use mats. Oh, you're taking notes. You're taking notes. You're taking notes. And I left mine. Well, I won't do it. I better not do that. But, but most of us are sensitive to technology. Not the Holy Spirit, but technology. How many of you are really sensitive to your phone? Can I see your hand? I got all these things on my phone that I didn't even put on there that are going on. And then the other day I put one on there that, that will tell you every time a rocket is fired in Israel. Thank God my phone has been silent for a long time. But when I first put it on there, almost every other minute it was going off. Ding, ding, ding. A rocket had been fired against Israel. And it's going to alert you. 
how to pray for Israel at that particular moment before the rocket hits. But we're living in an exciting time where we have the victory. Everybody say, I have the victory. It doesn't matter what Nadler says. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. We have the victory, and we are going to make a difference on this earth if we will fulfill our God-given assignment. Lance Corporal Harbo, you have an MOS, do you not? Military Occupational Specialty. It tells him what he's going to do with his life. Uh, what's your MOS? 3531. Mine was 6491. I bet you know your serial number, too, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and so you get all that stuff downloaded in you, and he's given a, 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 a UC, a, a, a military manual, a Marine Corps manual, to study and download inside him so he knows how to act in every situation. And then they taught him in boot camp uh, how, to, how to improvise. Everybody say improvise. In other words, hmm, it's not exactly covered in the manual here. What should I do here? How should I handle that? Uh, what should I say about Nadler? Uh, Nadler did something stupid in my opinion, but I'm supposed to love everybody. Well, I can love stupid people. Turn to your neighbor and tell them you can love stupid people. And, and, and I, but, you, but you don't accept it. You don't accept what they're doing. We, see, sometimes we take, we take a flip-flop like windshield wipers, and we go back and forth. We say, well, I'm supposed to love everybody. You know what they just did? Yeah, love them anyway. It's okay. What you're doing is enabling them. What you need to do is go in there, stop the windshield wiper, and say, you know that thing you just did is really stupid, and I love you so much, and if you keep doing it, you're going to walk off the cliff, but I'm going to tell you what you need to do. And if you want to listen to me, fine, but you may not want to do what I do, but you do have to listen. Sometimes people say, I don't have to listen to you. They're already listening to what you're saying already. They do have to listen, but they don't necessarily have to do. So what we do is we give our life to the Lord, and we say, God, here am I. How do you want to use me? Your life is but a fleeting moment, and God's got a plan. And here it is in Matthew chapter 16. Now, this is really interesting. Peter uh, has, has just informed Jesus that he doesn't know what he's talking about. Uh, and I'll just paraphrase the first part of it. Uh, Jesus is telling Peter that I'm about to uh, uh, die here, but I'll resurrect in three days. And Peter said, knock it off, Jesus. That's not going to happen. Peter was really impetuous. How many of you know an impetuous person? Uh, they speak and think later. Uh, he was a little bit impetuous. He was correcting Jesus. And Jesus really rebuked him and said, Satan, get thee behind me. He really let, say, he really let Peter have it. Not that he didn't love Peter, but he was rebuking the demonic force on his life. How many of you know and are bold enough to say, I know what it's like to have a demonic force on my life? I can raise my hand. I know what it's like. It is hell on earth. And if you get the word of God downloaded in you, you rebuke that thing and get it off of you. But if you don't, you go down a subtle road of slippery slope, and before you know it, you're going the way of the world. And we're going to talk about that scripturally, about what Jesus said. This is Jesus who said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Everybody say that. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, you just need to get out of the way. You just need to deny yourself, take up the cross, and follow me. What does that mean? The way we follow Jesus is through living the Word of God and being led by the Holy Spirit. And if we get both of those things operating in our life, then every day is a new day to follow and pursue what God has for us. Let's say this. God has a plan, God has a plan. And, a and a purpose for my life. For my life. How many of you hope what you're doing right now 
is not what you're going to be doing for the rest of your life. Can I see your hands? You plug into the Holy Spirit. He's going to show you, and he's going to take you out of your comfort zone, and he's going to take you places where he will provide every need for you. But what happens to a lot of us is we start thinking, how can I afford to do what God is calling me to do? Isaiah, how long have you been in the Marine Corps? Two years. How many times have you had to pay for your transportation other than vacation, stuff like that? They pay for all of it? How many times have you had to pay for the food on base? <laughs> you have to pay room and board for where you stay? How about the clothes? How much you pay for your clothing? Uh, I'm issued my basic standard. You take care of it. You keep getting it. You screw it up. You got to buy it, right? Yep, that hasn't changed a bit. That hasn't changed a bit. So you don't wake up every morning and think, how am I going to afford to live the day? They take care of everything. In the, in the Marine Corps, this came to me, it, not just the Marine Corps, any branch of the armed forces, they take care of everything. You don't get up and think about anything. All you think about is what are the orders today? Standing orders and then changing orders and then improvision because no order covers it. But you know that you're reporting to a higher source in the military all of the time. You and I should live like that. Every morning is a new day, not to get up and think for ourselves, but to get up and think, God, what do you want me to think? You give your heart to the Lord, God will show you what to think. And then we start to move out on assignment from him to accomplish what he wants us to accomplish. Everybody say this again because I want, I want you to make sure you get this. God has a plan, has a plan. For, my life. for my life. When I study uh, in the word of God, it's really important that you have a prayer journal to know what God is speaking to you. I'm going to give David Bolden a hand over here because David was on Channel 18 the other day. He is active in Veterans Corps. He's also active in a prayer group for veterans, and he is doing an absolutely awesome job, has served our country, and now is still serving our country. He's doing a great job. But all of a sudden, you start reading your prayer journal if you have one. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. But if you do not have a prayer journal, you don't know where you're going based on the will of God. You are hit and miss. You're like a, a, a cylinder car that you're, all of the things aren't firing. And if you've got a prayer journal and you're praying and asking God what he wants you to do, he's going to show you. And you start putting this in your prayer journal. And I know you've heard me say this over the years, but when I first got saved, somebody told me, keep a prayer journal. I have a prayer journal from 1980 until the present. Every single time when God tells me to go back and review something, I find something that God showed me to do that either I did or I didn't do. If I did it, it was a reward time. If I didn't do it, I had to repent of it and say, God, next time if you give me another chance, I'm going to do it again. So everybody, tell your neighbor, you need a prayer journal. It is your guide through this world. Now, what it takes, if, 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 are you prepared? <clears throat> you know, it, it, what if, what if, what if? We can play a little game, what if. What if the stock market crashes? I'm going to be okay. What if the wrong party that you think is the wrong party gets in the White House? I'm going to be okay. What if, what if the right guys that you want uh, does not control the House of Representatives or the Senate? I'm going to be okay. Everybody say, I'm going to be okay. 
no matter what happens in the world, you're okay because you have an anointing upon your life, and God will supply every need according to his riches and glory. When I hang out with Pastor Stanley over in the Sudan, by the way, pray for, well, we'll pray for him right now. Pastor Stanley is uh, just on the tail end of malaria and typhoid. Uh, he has really been through it all. And I talked to him the other day. I said, Stanley, how you doing? He said, I'm fine. I got the victory in my life. And I said, have you had it before? And he said, yeah, I've had it before. I said, I've understood that that is really painful. He said, it's just part of serving the Lord. It's just like he brushes that stuff off. I mean, I, can you imagine typhoid and malaria all at the same time? <clears throat> the people in the Sudan live with a tremendous faith for God, praying in their food, praying in their water, praying in their health, all of those types of things. God does not love the people of America more than he loves the people of the Sudan. But because of the changing tide of demonic forces, there are demonic forces that are surfacing in America right now. Financially, with the stock market, financially with the employment situation, everything is going great here. But it could change overnight. But no matter what happens, we're going to be okay if. Everybody say, I'm going to be okay. If. If you're prepared. If you're prepared to know how to get back up when you get knocked down, you'll be okay. A lot of people have been knocked down. They're still down. They're just laying there. Something happened to them. Uh, you know, their emotions have taken over, and the spirit is not working in their life in the body of Christ. And they're starting to believe lies that the devil is trying to perpetuate. Now, what I'm about to tell you now is the scripture that you've heard over and over again in this church. But if you don't get this downloaded in your system and live it on a daily basis, the enemy will come in and he will distort things in your life. It's Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. You present your body as a living sacrifice, pure, holy, acceptable unto the Lord, which is your reasonable service. Tell your neighbor, it's just your reasonable service. And then not be conformed by the world system, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, the continual renewing of your mind, the continual renewing of your mind, so that you will know the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. And then when you know the will of God, you know why you're here. You know what you're doing. I want to share this story because it's so important, because with, without doing what I'm sharing with you today that the Lord has shown me, you will be subject to fear and anxiety and worry because you'll be concerned about things in the world. You'll be concerned about your finances. You'll be concerned about, do I have enough money to pay my mortgage? Do I have enough money to retire on? Do I have all of these things? All of those things are not that important. The only thing that's important to you and the most important thing in your life is, are you in the center of the will of God? Turn to your neighbor and ask, are you in the center of the will of God? If God came down here today and said, hey, Rob, man, are you in the center of my will? Because he knows. Uh, Rob's going to be able to say, yes, sir. Or he's going to be shaking, thinking, oh, God, I wish I had done that. Now, I know Rodney's doing what God has shown him to do. But really, it is a question you need to continually ask yourself. Am I doing what God has asked me to do? Down and worry, doubt, fear, unbelief, those things are real. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, don't, don't worry about anything. Everybody say, don't worry about anything. I know I've told you this story before, but it was just so real to me when, Dad, when Brad and I were in the Sudan and the, 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 the kids had just come out. By the way, we believe that the children and Pastor Stanley and all were going to be able to all go back from Uganda into Yay probably January or February of next year, and it's looking really good, so let's give them a hand. 
I just thought we, we need to pray for uh, Carl. Carl has an aneurysm in his stomach that they're going to have to do some work and some tube work and all, but we're believing that that thing can be resolved by the Lord. Some of you around Carl back there, Richard, just stretch your hands out toward him. Father, we pray for Carl. In Jesus' name, we bind the work of the enemy, and we command that aneurysm to be gone. Lord, you know better than anybody what needs to be done in this situation. If it is surgery, then we know that it will go well. But we pray a supernatural manifestation of a miracle into his body for that aneurysm to be gone in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. So Jesus said, don't worry about anything. And, and that God will take care of everything. Now, how many of you know that when the Holy Spirit shows you to do something, it's not something that you just have the ability to do. It's almost, can I see your hands? It's almost beyond your comprehension. How many of you know what I'm talking about? For me, it's almost always something financially I can't afford to pay for that I don't have. And, and so Brad and I were in there when the children were brought out. And, and I know some of you heard this story before, but it's so important on not being fearful or concerned about anything other than what did God say. And we knew that the children were coming into Camp Rhino. It's an unbelievably God-forsaken type. Nothing is God-forsaken. I shouldn't have said that, but it is an unbelievable bush area where they put these 135 children, and all they have are poles and tarps, and it's, it's just a horrible situation. And we knew that they were landlocked, and we knew that they needed transportation. And that's when we said, see, if you'll be bold, God's anointing will flow through you. How many of you know you need to be more bold than you are? Yeah, thank you for half of your hands, and thank you for everybody else who knows you should have lifted your hand. And, uh, and so, so we, we know he needs transportation. We're there with Feed the Hungry representatives. I would say, let's find them a vehicle. And so we found a land cruiser. And the land cruiser, we think, was stolen from the South Sudan, brought over by a general who fled in the fighting. And uh, we didn't care how the thing was. Uh, we would think it might have been stolen. All we cared about was, is there a clear title to the land cruiser? We found out there was a clear title to it. Really good-looking Land Cruiser, and they wanted. We finally negotiated down. I didn't, but Stanley negotiated the thing down to fifteen thousand dollars. I think we had a thousand dollars between us, or something like that. We told this guy, this this is not the kind of guy selling this you'd really want to deal with. Okay, but but sometimes you have to improvise. Everybody say, sometimes I have to improvise. This is not the guy I would take out to dinner. But, uh, but we said, we'll give you $15,000 for tomorrow because it was a heck of a deal. It was like a $50,000 Land Cruiser. And the guy said, okay. And they said, where's the, where's the money? He said, we'll give it to you tomorrow. We didn't have the money. We didn't have the money, but we told the guy we'd give it to him tomorrow. We get in the car with our driver, and Brad looks at me and says, what are we going to do? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> but I know God wants us to buy it. How many of you realize if God wants you to do something, if you're not fearful, if you're not worried, you just do it? It's, now, I, I, I know some people might think this is not correct spiritually, what I'm about to say, but if God tells you to do something and you do it, who is responsible for the resources? Not you. God is responsible. He'll take care of it. He just needs you to get in motion. And so we commit to the thing. We're driving down the street, and uh, he said, what are we going to do? And I said, I don't really know. And I said, hey, I saw a sign. Barclay Bank. Let's go to Barclay Bank. He says, we're going to get money there? I said, yeah, we'll get money there. Now, how many of you realize that there is an anointing upon you when you begin to speak and it's not you? Can I see your hands if you know what I'm talking about? It's like, 
this is not me, but I'm liking it. But I don't know how to do it. But I know it's not me. I know it's God. I knew it was God to say, get the land cruiser. I knew it was God to say, you know, that we'll, we'll find the money. So we walk into Barclay Bank, and we walk into this bank. It's a little bitty hole in the wall there. And again, I know some of you heard that story. And I told the lady, I need $15,000. And she says, do you have an account here? No, you can't have it. And I said, well, I have charge cards. She said, $3,000. Well, I wouldn't give you on a charge card. I said, I need $15,000. She said, nope, can't do it. I said, I'm on a mission from God. Now, I'm telling you, I, tell you, I know it sounds silly, and I know some of you heard that before. I love the Blues Brothers movie. I, I don't know how many of you have ever seen it. I'm not imitating the Blues Brothers, but I thought about it when I said it. I'm on a mission from God. And I said it like that, and I said it very firmly, not mean, but very firmly. It startled her, and it startled me. All I know is she looked at me and said, I'll be right back. And she left. I'm thinking to myself, in the realm of the spirit, with the anointing, we're going to get the money. With worry, doubt, and unbelief, somebody's going to come out here with a gun and shoot us or throw us out of this place. And pretty soon she comes back. She says, okay, we'll do $5,000 on your card. I said, I need fifteen. She said, we'll only do five. All of a sudden, it dawned on me. I have three credit cards. She went blank for a minute said, Oh, I said, can I do five on each card? Yes. Give her one card, goes through. Second card, goes through. I don't know how these cards went through. An American Express, I mean, American cards over there, and I didn't tell anybody it was gone. Maybe they knew by the computer on the airline. But, you know, here's, here's $5,000 going through, $5,000 through, rejected. Third card, rejected. I said, we got to have it. Brad, you got a credit card? Yeah, I got a credit card. He has me a credit card. Here's another credit card, another $5,000. Rejected because need a security, need a, need a password. And Brad, Brad said, what's your password? He said, I have no idea. I said, you got to have an idea. you got to have an idea. And he said, well, if I have one, it would have to be this. I gave it to the lady. It worked. $5,000. So now she's got this machine there, like this, $15,000 in $100. Uh, first of all, I don't even know how they had American currency. They had $15,000 sitting there in American currency, brand new American currency. $15,000 and brings it to the window. We're the only, and I don't mean this you know, derogatorily, but we're the only white guys in the place, okay? And so naturally, I, I can kind of think what it would be like to be African-American in all white facility. You, you, you're the only per person there. We're the only... Uh, white people there, and so we had everybody's attention. And now, not only do we have everybody's attention, we've got $15,000 stacked in front of us in a very economically depressed area. And so we're standing there at this teller's cage, and she starts to, well, she starts bringing it out, 5,000, 5,000, 5,000. And I'm thinking, that machine is probably accurate. But there's no way we're going to be able to come back in the morning and say, by the way, you were off about $500. They are not going to like that. So I said, Brad, we got to stand here and count it. And he said, all of it? I said, yeah, we're going to have to count it. We're $15,000. We told the guy in the morning we'd take him uh, the money. Well, now we've got $15,000, and they don't give you anything with it, nothing at all. They just put it through. So we got $15,000, putting it here and then here, and trying to nobody see it, and everybody watching us stash it. 
And I said, Brad, we got to find that guy. We got to pay him right away. <laughs> we can't take this back to the hotel. We finally found the guy and gave him the $15,000. It really taught me a lesson. I didn't know what to do. Everybody said, there are times. I don't know what to do. And, and you can't really find it here in the Bible. You know, the Bible says love everybody unconditionally. The Bible says be bold and, and speak to people. Jesus himself loved everybody and rebuked Peter. It, now, I know it says he rebuked the devil and Peter, but I bet you Peter thought he was rebuking him because he rebuked the demonic force that was in him. And there are demonic forces in a lot of believers today. There are demonic forces trying to take over your children. There are demonic forces that we need to be commanders and military in our efforts and, yes, love people, but don't accept what they're doing. We accept the people, but we don't accept what they're doing. If somebody doesn't stand up for people and let them know that you're going the wrong direction, you're going to have a problem in a generation. And we have problems in this nation right now, and we have problems coming in this nation. But the good news is that we win. We have the victory. Let's all say, I have the victory. And so does your family as long as you're standing in that position that you need to do. And so when I saw that happen with what God did, it was a supernatural move of God that took care of his children at that moment. As long as you're about helping people and taking care of people, God's going to be there for you. The Word of God says that we should never fear anything. And Jesus said, I should never worry. Yet when you look at a lot of believers, they're worried. They're anxious. The Word of God says don't be anxious for anything. So what we find is that we are allowing ourselves to be used by the devil to come into our life and make, it, make us anxious. Philippians 4.6 says to be anxious for nothing. You will never be anxious if you're meditating the Word of God and living the Word of God. What happens is you meditate something contrary to the Word of God and you become anxious. You become worried by thinking about what's going to happen. Jesus started in Matthew chapter 6 by saying don't be anxious and don't worry about anything. Worry is a giant distraction. It's one of the biggest tools the devil uses. Jesus went on in Matthew chapter 6 to say, don't, and I'm paraphrasing it now in different language, but he said, don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about anything. Don't worry about your retirement. Don't worry about how you're going to take care of this or this. Just seek first the kingdom of God and my righteousness, and all of the things you have need of will come upon you. We, I don't know how to raise $15,000, but God did. Now, I know this is going to sound funny, but just download this. God is smarter than you. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, God is smarter than you are. If you just get that in you, a lot of people, God tells them what to do, and the first thing they do is go out and try to figure out how to do it. Well, let's see, how am I going to do this? Well, how are you going to get born again? You don't know how to get born again. It just happens. I heard Billy Graham say this. I'm looking forward to, uh, to death and to going on to heaven because I know I'm going to live there, but I'm not sure about the process. You don't have to be concerned about the process. The moment you check out down here, you're going to open your eyes and you're going to see Jesus, and eventually you're going to give an account for your life. He's going to say, hey, what did you do with what I showed you? How many of you are bold enough to raise your hand to this question? How many of you know that from time to time, and maybe even right now, you're not doing what God told you to do? Every single person here. Okay? Now, you can take them down. Now, you just say, that's not too smart. It's really not too smart. Now, think about that just for a moment. God tells you to do something and you know it's for your best interest, and you know it's going to help him, and you know you're going to get rewarded for it, but you don't know how to do it. So instead of committing to do it, you just kind of forget about it and think about something else and move on. You become 
distracted. You take the care. The word care and anxiety have the same root. Merimno, it means to be distracted. You become distracted by the things of the world and the devil. The devil put pretty things in front of you, things to do, things to be involved with. And before you know it, that thing is leading you. And then it becomes full-blown fear. And the Word of God says God hasn't given us in uh, 1 Peter 1.7, I think, or not, uh, 1 Timothy 1.7. Is it 1 Timothy 1.7? God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. A lot of people can quote that scripture, but they don't look like they have it. Does that make sense? In other words, they, they don't look like it. They look like they're a little timid. But let's all say it. God has not given me a spirit of fear, but I have power, love, and a sound mind. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? If you believe that, you should act like that. You look in the mirror, you should see somebody that's reflecting power, love, and a sound mind. Because we are on an assignment from God. Let's just say, I'm on an assignment from God. That doesn't mean you have to be in the ministry as a pastor or as an evangelist or anything like that. But whether you're a businessman, whether you're whatever your occupation is, you are on an assignment from God to glorify God. And I love reading stories about famous people who have accomplished so much. I love the life story of James Cash Penny, one of the first places I ever worked when I got out of the military, and how he felt he had a vision from God. And God's vision for him was to start a retail establishment. And he would call it the Golden Rule in Kimmer, Wyoming. But it was his second venture. His first venture was a meat processing company that he bought. And he bought a meat processing company, had it for a week, had pooled some money and borrowed some money. And on his first delivery that he went to, he was asked by the person, where is my bottle of whiskey? And he said, what do you mean? And he said, the previous owner, always with my order, brought me a complimentary bottle of whiskey. And he said, I, I'm a Christian, I don't do that. And he said, well, if you don't do that, then you will not have my account. This was the largest account that he had with the business that he just bought. He flourished and wanted that account badly, but he had a choice to make. Everybody say, we always have a choice. The devil wants you to compromise what you know is right. What you, I think it was Oral Roberts had a sign on his desk, what you compromise to keep, you will always eventually lose. And he had a choice to make. Compromise what he believed for a bottle of whiskey or to tell the man, I can't do that. It's against my principles and my integrity and my character. He wasn't upset with the man for wanting to drink whiskey, but he said, I can't do that. He lost the account, and right after that, his business went bankrupt. He went under for the glory of God, I believe, to accomplish what he accomplished because in that day and age in Kimmer, Wyoming, the golden rule that he started after he lost that business, he dedicated it to the glory of God. And he said that this business will be run continually based on Matthew 7:12, Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. And his business exploded and became the largest, during that period of time, the largest retail organization in the United States and probably the world, but in the United States. Everybody told him that you can't continue to remain closed on Sundays. You must open on Sundays or otherwise your business will not be able to stay competitive. 
And his statement was, I love it, in the, in the book, the, uh, the Merchant Prince, it's a great book. Uh, he, he said, over my dead body, will the J.C. Penney Company stores ever be opened on Sunday? He lived to be 90-some years old. Two months after he died, the company started open on Sunday. Since then, the company has struggled financially, is in very serious trouble right now. I believe they lost the vision, they lost their way, they lost their mandate. I thank God for a person like Truett Cathy who says, I'm going to start a restaurant. And he starts it with the Dwarf West Restaurant and somewhere in Atlanta, somewhere down there. And, and, and all of a sudden, this, this thing begins to really, he, he starts another one. And he calls it Chick-fil-A and another one and another one. And they're all closed on Sunday. And people say, we're not going to let you open a, a, a restaurant here if you're closed on Sunday. And he said, God told me to stay closed on Sunday and to give this day to him and that we will flourish because God is to, in charge of this vision. Chick-fil-A is one of the most Christ-centered companies in the world. And they flourish because they're open on because they're closed on Sundays. But it's not because of that they give glory to God. David Green, David Green, the founder of, of, of Hobby Lobby, has absolutely impacted the entire world. When we were in Russia, there's a museum over there that the Green family, Hobby Lobby, was instrumental in birthing. Uh, the Green family was instrumental in birthing the uh, Museum Bible in Washington, D.C. The, the Green family saved Oral Roberts University. The Green family is one of the wealthiest family in all of America. They rescued the University of Oral Roberts University when it was really in trouble. David Green has written a book recently, second or third book, Giving It All Away. He's working now on planting all of the money that he's made over the years because God gave him the money. He said it wasn't mine in the first place. It all belonged to God. All of the money, all the resources belonged to God. And he said, God bless me, and now we're giving it away. Every month they meet and determine, what am I going to do with my money? God, where do you want me to put my money? I don't know a single American family that has a meeting that sits down and say, how can we plant seed all over the world? Maybe there are some. Maybe there are some. How can we plant seed all over the world? Pam came to me last night. I'm not going to tell the whole story. But she said, I need $100. And I said, this is seed money. I, God has blessed me. And I, and I am able now. It used to be I couldn't do this. Well, I could with a dollar. Uh, but now... God has blessed me, and so I, I, I carry some things around with me that I, it's, it's, it's seed money. And she said, I, I need $100. And I said, $100? Okay, here. I said, but that's seed money. I, I want that back. That's seed money. It's not going to go to pay for something. That's seed money. And uh, I, I am tenacious about that. This money is seed, and I get it in the ground, just like Dan said. I know it's going to multiply back. Not so I have money so I can plant more seed. God wants us to be seed planters. And, and Hobby Lobby is a tremendous operation. Uh, they, uh, Colonel Sanders got saved and retired and took his retirement fund and, and started uh, uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken. And, and all that money that was coming in, he started planting it in ministries and in churches and everything around the world. If you give it all to the Lord, everybody say, give it all to God. It's all going to come back on you. David Bolden over here has a vision. He has a vision from God to reach out and help other vets. And God is beginning small, right, David? But if you're faithful in the small things, God will bring the bigger things and the bigger things. God is looking everywhere for men and women who will serve him and do whatever he says to do. Now, I'm a lot older than I used to be. I'm actually 39. <clears throat> 
this is a true story. This is a true story. I was with somebody the other day. I don't even know who they were. And uh, they said something. I forget what they said. And I said, yeah, I'm only 39. And they looked at me kind of funny. I know they were just trying to be polite. And I said, I've had a hard life. And, <laughs> and that part is true. <laughs> but, but they started to laugh. And I thought, I've, I've, my spirit man is only 39 years old. There's not a lot of mileage on my spirit man. <laughs> I've only been saved for 39 years. So, so I, I, I'm really there. But I know this, at the age that I am, I, I know this. I make mistakes. Everybody, just tell your neighbor, he makes mistakes. I make mistakes. I don't do it on purpose, but it's real easy for me to make mistakes. <laughs> but, but I know this. With Victory World Outreach and the Sudan and the orphans of the world and the things that are in my prayer journal, I know that for the rest of my race, I know what I'm supposed to do. And I'm so comfortable in it. I like what I see when I look in the mirror because I'm at peace with myself. I don't mean that pridefully, but I mean it to encourage you. A lot of people are going through the motions of life, but they're not at peace with themselves. And the reason is because they're not in the will of God. They're not centered where God wants them to be. Once you get in the center of the will of God, there's a peace that transcends, and it's like, God, what are we going to do today? In the morning, you get up. Most important thing to you is, God, what are we doing today? What's your plan? Ah, can't wait to get up tomorrow find out what's going on. I have a little ritual when I get in the shower every night. I say, God, is there anybody I need to forgive today? Oh, totally knowing God's going to say, nah, great job, Bill. <laughs> and I'll be darned if I don't see these things, <laughs> names, people, stuff, and I say, wow, God, I'll do better tomorrow. I feel like the God, he just shakes his head and says, I doubt it. But, <laughs> but I do want to leave you with this. These are dominant in my life. But I believe it's the will of God. Whatever God tells you to do, you're ready to do it. Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all, let's all say, I can do all things, can do all things through, Christ through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4.19. God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. You serve the richest banker in the world. He is not even going to have to have you come and ask him for it. As soon as you start moving in regard to what he's called you to do, it's going to flow. I'm telling you, when I came out of that bank with Brad, I don't know about you, Brad, but I, I could have entered into pride real quickly. But it's like, <gasps> I don't know, sign up from God. And if I want 15, no, that's not how it works. God will exalt the humble. And he'll use the things of, what's that scripture he used? I lost my mind. The foolish to confound the wise. I'll end with this. Most of you know this, but when Pam and I came back to Lafayette, Indiana, and I went to this realtor to look for a place to rent, she said, I introduced myself, she said, you the same Bill Mickley that 
Went to Jefferson High School? I said, yeah. I said, you're a pastor? Yeah. You're starting a church? Yeah. My God, there's hope for everybody. <laughs> hope to see her at my class reunion coming up here. There is hope for everybody. Come on and stand with your feet. I want to give you uh, this closing scripture, and then we're going to go out with it. But it's so powerful, so powerful. How many of you realize you can read the word, and you just read it, and you read it, and you read it, and then there are times you read it, and it just explodes in your spirit? But it's 1 Corinthians 15. You hear me say this all the time. We said it early in this service. But, you know, thanks be to God for the victory through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that therefore, we are steadfast. We are immovable. We're always abounding in the book of the Lord. Because we know that our labor is not in vain. So when you're ministering to somebody and they turn on you, your labor is not in vain. You plant seed. We're seed planters. That person can never get rid of the seed you planted. They don't have to do it. That seed will produce after its own kind. We love people, but we're also bold. Peter and John, we looked at the lame man, the temple of the gate, the gate of the temple called Beautiful, or something like that. Uh, and they said, silver and gold, we don't have, but such as we have, we give to you. Reached down and yanked him up and said, be healed in the name of Jesus. And he was healed. What did they get for that? They got beaten and thrown in jail. There are people beaten and thrown in jail all over the world. So what? Everybody say, so what? Well, I don't want to be beaten and thrown in jail. Why not? Maybe that's where your best writing will come. That's where Paul did his best writing in prison with the epistles. Most important thing in the world, most important thing in the world is are you being led by the Holy Spirit. Would you bow your heads with me just for a moment? I want to ask you the most important question you'll ever answer. Do you know if you died today you would be with Jesus in heaven? Now maybe you're here and You've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you've never, maybe you're like a prodigal son, a prodigal child. You've walked away from the things of God. Don't stay away. If your life isn't right with the Lord, let's settle that issue right now. If that's you, if I've described you, I'm going to ask you just to lift your hand in the air and we're going to pray for you. Anyone at all here, say, Pastor, I know my life is not right. Let's pray this. Let's pray this prayer together. Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe that you died for my sins. I sinned. I've made mistakes. But I acknowledge you as my Lord and Savior. I ask you to come into my heart. Take control of my life. The true desire of my heart is to serve you to be all that you have called me to be. Now while we're still in prayer, I want to pray for all of you. This is not a bad thing, but it's a thing that you need to settle with the Lord. If God has shown you things to do and you haven't done them, then God is going to realize, not that he doesn't love you, but he can't take you where he wants you to go because though he loves you, he can't trust you. Does that make sense? In other words, it doesn't mean that he doesn't love you and doesn't want to bless you, 
but he can't trust you unless you're obedient to do what he shows you. What's the fastest way to get promoted in the Marine Corps? To tell them that you don't really care to do what they want you to do or to say, yes, sir. My guess is I can answer that for you. Yes, sir. And I have found this in the body of Christ. Put up 1 Timothy chapter 4 for me. I, I want to end that with that scripture. That there are a lot of people that when I'll talk to, especially in counseling, and, and I'll say, well, what has God shown you? I'm amazed at the number of people that tell me what God has shown them. I say, are you doing it? I say, no. I say, duh. There's no hope for anybody that won't do what God tells them to do. And I know some people say, oh, no, that's not true. There's always hope. If you won't do what God's called you to do, there's no hope to get promoted. It's not going to happen. This is where a lot of people in the body of Christ are living right now. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. It's not talking about people who don't know Jesus. This scripture is talking about people in the body of Christ who know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Now the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith. You have to have faith in Christ to depart from it. Some will depart from the faith giving heed, paying attention, and listening to the world system and deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. My guess is that all of you have people in family or extended family or friends or people that you know, they're going down the wrong road. They knew Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They knew the Word of God at one time, and they're going the wrong direction. Drugs, sex, all sorts of stuff like that. There's still hope for them. But when you look at them sometimes, it can depress you. They're not the issue. The issue is, are you right with God? Because you may be the only covering for them. You are the person standing in the gap. And you've got to make sure you're right with God so that you're ready to be that person that's fighting that fight of faith, fighting that battle for them with the power and authority and dominion of Almighty God this that we're reading in 1 Timothy chapter 4 is not going to get better. It's going to get worse because Jesus said it would. But the good news is, everybody say good news. We have the victory and that everywhere we go, we bring the light of Jesus. We're not part of 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're part of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Bow your heads with me. How many of you know there are things God has shown you to do and you haven't do, done them, but you're ready to make a decision today to submit to that. Can I see your hands? Father, I see every hand and I know better than that. You see every hand that is lifted. I pray that in the name of Jesus, whatever it is that is holding these people back, I bind it in the name of Jesus and I thank you, Lord, that there will be a desire, a love to serve you and to be submitted to you. The willing and the obedient will eat the good of the land. Your reward system will come upon anybody who is doing what you've called them to be and do 
Father, I pray for them now in Jesus' name that it is never too late to do the right thing. Let's all say that for those of you that have your hands listed. We're all going to join you in this. Lord, Lord forgive me forgive for areas where I've missed you. I know what to do. I hear your voice. I read your voice. I read your word. You show me by your spirit what to do. Therefore, today, I make a decision. I am serving you, Lord, to be all that you've called me to be. Because that's your will, and that's my will. Father, I thank you for every person that prayed that prayer. That in the precious name of Jesus, we truly are on assignment from you and for you to accomplish your will. And we give you the praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' precious name. Everybody said, Now we're going to go out of here. Got a word? We're going to go out of here the way we started this service. Because I just say this all the time. I just love it. So let's say it together like we mean it. I'll lead you. I thank Jesus, I thank Jesus. For, my for my victory. Therefore, I am. I am. And I'm going to let you say it like you mean it. Steadfast, immovable, always bounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that your labor is not in vain. Let's give the Lord a big hand. Go and be left.